The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. It's Matt Slick Live. Matt is the founder and president of the Christian Apologetics Research Ministry, found online at CARM.org. When you have questions about Bible doctrines, turn to Matt Slick Live for answers. Taking your calls and responding to your questions at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. All right, everyone, welcome to the show. You're listening to Matt Slick Live, and uh, today's date is December 14th, 2023. Man, this millennium is just flying by. Hey, if you want to give me a call, all you got to do is dial 877-207-2276. And uh, we can talk. If you are interested in emailing me instead of giving me a call, all you got to do is uh, direct your email to info at carm.org. Info at carm.org. Just put in the subject line. Please put something like carm question or... um, Carm comment or something like that, so we can get to them. I got a bunch of uh, radio comments and questions. Now, as we get closer to the the time of Christmas, the generally uh, the calls just start failing off. And that's okay. And just so you know, uh, in fact, that that's, that reminds me, what's our schedule going to be? Let me get it. So there'll be no next week. Next week, Thursday, uh, Thursday and Friday, being no radio, and then uh, on the twenty fifth and twenty sixth, you know, no radio. So, uh, and then January 1st, no, you know, won't be live. We'll be taking a few days off. So there you go. And I hope you all have a great Christmas, too. Now, if you have questions uh, about Christmas, you can uh, give me a call. And if you're new to the show and you want to know what this is about, I'm a Christian apologist, which means I defend the Christian faith. And I attack things like atheism, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Christian Science, Unity, Baha'i, Islam, Roman Catholicism. Uh, Eastern Orthodoxy, and anything and everything that does not agree with the Scriptures, the Word of God, because the Trinitarian being is the one and only necessary being who is the necessary precondition for all intelligibility. All events, all facts, all truths trace their back, their uh, their origin and their context back to the uncaused chain who is the Lord God himself. So without the Christian worldview, you can't make sense of anything. Yeah, quite a bold statement. So if you want to talk about that or something else, whatever you want to talk about, that's fine. You can just give me a call, 877-207-2276. And um, I just want to remind you that we stay on the air by your support. And if you are so interested in what I had to say, or maybe not so much interested in what I had to say, or you think I'm obstreperous, but not obsequious, that would be good, then uh, you could, uh, if you want to support us, you can just go to carm.org forward slash donate, carm.org forward slash donate. And we ask $5 a month, $10 a month, or larger if you want, and everything you donate will be matched. So if you start up with $5 a month, uh, it'll be counted for the rest of the year. That'll be $60. And then our, we have a matching funds drive person who's going to just take that 60 double it, there it is, and he... It's in our account. Uh, it'll be that. So if you give a one-time gift of twenty, then it'll become forty. That's what it is. So very easy, very good, very nice stuff. And uh, you can always cancel it whenever you want. But we are asking for a little bit of support. Five dollars a month. I think it's good. Or ten dollars a month. I think ten is good because if we have ten, and that's not very much for people. Uh, it really does help us to uh, create a budget. And we do have some uh, supporters that we have to, to support. We have people. Excuse me, we have people. Uh, we have a guy in Nigeria. We have a guy in Malawi. Those are both in Africa. We have a guy in Turkey, a guy in Brazil, a guy in um, in Colombia. 
and they uh, they run different aspects uh, of the the site. We have a lot of people who help us out, you know. And we had Ernie on yesterday talking about the social media. We have Laura who does SEO. Maybe she can call in sometime and say I can ask her what she does. Because I think it's kind of fun to do that towards the end of the year, anyway. And I know Laura's listening now. If she wants, you want to call in right now. You can, I can just say, what do you do for CARM? And then we'll get Charlie to do that. And maybe we'll get some of the uh, missionary guys to call in as well. So if you, if you want to do that, Laura, if you don't, that's fine. Because some people are intimidated by radio, but I don't think uh, I don't think Laura is would be. Anyway, there you go. Hey, look, uh, what I think I'm going to do now is get to some of the, the, um, the questions. That's a good question right there uh, that's come in. Um, Joanne asks, does God love equally? You mean people. Does he love people equally? Um, that's a good question. I don't know how to answer that one. Uh, I don't know. I mean, would it be possible he loves Jesus more than us, uh, than individuals? I, I don't know. It's a good question. Now, I do know that there are people that God hates, and that's Psalm 5, Psalm, uh, excuse me, Psalm 5, 5, Psalm 11, 5. He hates all who do iniquity. He hates those who love violence and things like that. And so uh, I would say in that sense, no, he doesn't love uh, everybody equally, that there's uh, there, there's not an equality of love given to everybody, but just uh, just God. I mean, just, uh, well, I just, that's why I'd say that. Let's get to another one. Let's see. Uh, Matt, can you read this on the air if so, so chooses? I'm writing a paper titled, What are the Claims of Presupposition? It should be Presuppositional apologetics uh, I would like to call and make clear that was on December 5th so he's already called but let me go through this not only what presuppositional apologetics claims but also how those claims are expressed if I am not accurate on either thing appreciate the correction we already went through that and um, and we kind of discussed it let's just move along oh it's the same thing let's see Thaddeus I suppose wait a second wait a second it's not like it was already answered um Let's see. Oh, contradic- talk about contradictions. Uh, is, okay. Why do people do what? Why people do what they do is sometimes between them and God. But apparently, yeah, I, I wrote that. Okay. Now he says, okay. I'm just trying to catch up to get the context. Uh, it's a multiple response email. I suppose the left and right thing, the left and right thing, is interesting symbolism. Oh, and that's in the judgment seat. A lot of people don't know this, that on the judgment of God, those on God's left are condemned and those on God's right are saved. And it's just a theme that a lot of people are not aware of. And notice that when Jesus, uh, with the disciples, I forgot exactly where, but they were fishing, they weren't catching anything, and he says, cast your net on the right side of the boat and they did and they caught the fish 153 I think that's what the, but it was there that's in John 21 so it's just a thematic consistency and so anyway he goes on as for taking events in the story literally it still seems odd of the criminals that the criminals would have an instant turnaround from mocking Jesus while on the cross Matthew and Luke still feel like separate story accounts well why see when someone says um you know, it feels this way. I don't think that way. It still seems that way. Well, not to knock that. People are, are entitled. But those are the, the, the statements that make things kind of weak. Because it, it's like saying, I just feel it. Well, not to disrespect someone for their feelings, what they you know, kind of imply or intuit. It's just that those don't make something true or false. 
And so it certainly is possible that on the cross, because the one on the right is the one who repented and, and turned to Christ and said, remember me when you, you know, come into your kingdom. And the one on the left kept mocking Christ. And so uh, he left, he, he was damned. And the right, he saved. So this is another example of left and right, the judgment seat and the judgment of God, because that's where sin was judged on the cross. Now remember, they weren't just up there for five minutes, and then they died, and so it was a quick turnaround. No, the one on the right may have seen Jesus and heard Jesus in his forgiveness. The one who was on the right may have very well have heard things about Christ. And there he is being crucified, and there's this guy right to his left, and Jesus, you know, uh, this guy's on Jesus' right, and he's looking and he's hearing him for hours up there, and pain has a way of softening you up, just like our trials and tribulations soften us up, you know. They make us turn to Christ, they make us turn to God. Well, it would make sense that this guy's up there for a few hours and things are getting really bad because, I mean, you're crucified, you're already, it's already really bad, but getting even worse and he realizes death is impending. This guy, he's heard so much about and there he is and he's forgiving people. <laughs> hey, remember me when you come into the kingdom. It makes perfect sense at that point to say that that is the case. I have no problem with that whatsoever. All right, let's see. Um, what is your opinion of the claim that the Gospel of Mark originally ends at chapter of it at uh, chapter sixteen, verse eight? My NRSV Bible indicates the oldest of the manuscript and Mark, while it is later manuscripts that add extra verses on to Mark and make the ending more satisfying. It seems to be scholarly consensus. But what are your thoughts? Well, let me get to uh, that. This is, uh, I'll, spend, I'll spend a little bit of time on this, the ending of Mark and this issue. So Mark 16, um, 9, through, uh, 9 through 20 are debated scriptures. Later manuscripts seem to add verses 9 through 20. In other words, they're not found in the earlier manuscripts. Now, why is that important? And what does this mean, earlier or later manuscripts? Well, let's just say that the Gospel of Mark, when it was written, let's just say, just for the quick argument, not to debate this, let's say he wrote it in uh, 40 A.D. You know, say, just say 10 years, roughly 10 years after Jesus uh, died. Let's just use the, the, the date 40. All right, so how was it written? It was written on what's called a codex. Now, a codex is a page, and they would they didn't have binding like we did. They... Uh, they kind of did, but we have it better. But at any rate, pages. And one of the theories is that the ending of Mark after verse 8 just kind of was lost. I'm going to read the last two verses, uh, not of Mark 16, 9 through 20, but Mark 16, 7 and 8. That's what it says. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee, where you will see him just as he told you. They went out and fled from the tomb after trembling and astonishment had gripped them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And then that would be it. That's the end of the Gospel of Mark. Well, it doesn't seem like a very good ending. Well, they were, they were afraid. So this is why some scholars think that one of the last pages was just lost in the original document, and that a later scribe then added some uh, version uh, there, and I'll get to that. 
And it says, uh, another version is, and they promptly reported all these instructions to Peter and his companions. And after that, Jesus himself went out through uh, through them from east to west and was uh, the, the sacred and imperishable proclamation of eternal salvation. So that's a, a few late manuscripts and versions contain that paragraph, usually after verse, verse 8. So there are different endings of Mark that are attributed uh, to Mark. And so it's debatable. And this is the biggest textual issue in the New Testament. This is it. This right here is the biggest one. Now, what is the true ending? What I think is, or I suspect, this is just my opinion, and I'm just going to say this because it's nothing more than my opinion. I am not qualified as an expert in this issue of historicity, a biblical examination of historical documents. I'm not qualified to say anything authoritative. But I can say, well, I think this. And I could be wrong. So you take it with a grain of salt. What I suspect is that the longer ending, which I'm going to go through a little bit, was uh, the basic kind of ending that was there but was probably lost in the last leaf of the Codex collection of Mark and that a scribe from memory tried to write it back in and added that. That's what I suspect happened. And the reason I say that is because... um, in this pericope, the last 11 verses of, of Mark 16, I'm going to read it to you. And this is what it says, and I'm going to comment on it. It says, uh, and we've got a break coming up, so we won't be able to finish it but uh, until after the break. But here we go. Now, after he had risen early in the first day of the week, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. While, oh, she went and reported these things uh, who had been with him while they were mourning and weeping. And i got to keep reading because after the break... I'll get to uh, Mark 16, starting at verse 11. And then I'll make some comments about some stuff. Why I will never preach out of this ending of Mark. So please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Please stay tuned. It's Matt Slick Live, taking your calls at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. If you want to give me a call, 877-207-2276. Now, I was going through the ending of Mark. I'm explaining to you why I won't, I won't ever preach out of it. I don't trust it as being um, authentic. Now, I'm not knocking the Bible. The Bible is, is fine. This is just a, an area of textual criticism that uh, I've studied enough that I have problems with that ending and uh, won't preach out of it. So as I was saying, um, you know, it went on. I'll just start again at verse 9. Uh, now, when he had risen early in the first day of the week, he appeared, first appeared to Mary Magdalene, uh, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and reported to those who had been with him while they were mourning and weeping. When they had heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they refused to believe it. Now check this out. This is verse 12 of Mark 16. After he appeared in a different form to them while they were talking along the way, or walking along the way the country, he appeared in a different form. No, that's, that's a problem. Jesus appeared in the same body he died in. This is by the prophecy of 1 Corinthians 15, 35-45. And Jesus said he would raise his own body, John 2, 19-21. So uh, it's not the case, then, that, um, that, uh, that, that he appeared in a different form. We don't want to say that. We want to say that he appeared 
uh, in the same body he died in. And this very fact of what it says that he appeared in a different form, that's problematic. And I, I just don't go for that. I, I don't believe that that's correct. And I think it's a textual variant. And it's one of the reasons I, I won't preach out of that. Out of that. Okay. So uh, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to do something here. I'm going to show the uh, verse on the, the screen here in a little bit. And I'll just add this to my... I should have done this during the break. I wasn't thinking I'm going to do this right now. Where I can uh, share the screen. And what I'm going to do is go to that window right there. And I'm going to share it and add it so that I can show what uh, what it says. So uh, there we go. So like I said, after he had, he had appeared in a different form. And uh, no, he did not appear in a different form. So it goes on. It says, they went away and reported it to the others, but they did not believe them either. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven uh, themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. Now this is something a lot of cults use to try and uh, say that baptism is necessary for salvation. And that's one of the problems, uh, problem verses in here. But it doesn't logically necessitate that baptism is part of salvation because it says he who has believed and has been baptized uh, shall be saved. But we could also say he who has believed and goes to church will be saved. He who believes and reads the Bible will be saved. But you see, the, the problem here is that the kind of implication, some people could say, means that baptism is necessary for salvation, which it's not, because we're justified by faith, Romans 5.1, Romans 3.28, Romans 4.5, and we're justified by faith when we have faith, not when we get baptized. In baptism, I know about 1 Peter 3.21, you know, I can go in all these verses and everything. So that's a problem. And uh, it says, these signs will accompany those who believe in my name, they'll cast out demons, they'll speak with new tongues, they'll pick up serpents. And if they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They'll lay hands on the sick. They'll hurt. Uh, they will recover. Excuse me. Uh, so then when the Lord Jesus spoke to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. They went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked on them and confirmed the word by the signs that followed. And, you know, even when I read this, it, it just doesn't sound like the normal style of Mark. That's my subjective opinion. So I showed you that there's a problem in the... Uh, in uh, Mark 16, verse 12, it predicted a different form. Well, there's something else that you can't see. Now, I remember reading this in a book that discussed this, and a Greek scholar said there are 17 words in these 11 verses, Mark 16, 9 through 20, 17 words that appear in those 11 verses that do not occur in the rest of the entire Gospel of Mark. So that's very interesting. And he said that they were non-Markan words used in a non-Markan sense. In other words, it confirmed to me that this is the, the style of a different writer. And I think it's a scribe. That's why I think that. And that the scribe was just trying to repeat what he knew and what he understood and wrote it down. And it became probably a marginal kind of a, of a of an entrance, a, uh, I mean, of a, an ending. Like, uh, they probably knew it, it was just an addition by a scribe, and it gradually was just lost and then refound and say, here's an ending, and things like that. So 17 non-Markan words in a non-Markan sense, that means that 17 words appear in those 11 verses that don't occur in the rest of the Gospel of Mark. 
And that's that's a little suspicious to me. So that's why I won't preach out of the ending of Mark uh, 16, 9 through 20. That's not to say that uh, the Bible's not trustworthy. Of course it's trustworthy. I believe it's trustworthy. It is trustworthy. Uh, but it's just a fact that these kind of textual variants and stuff occur. There, another one is in First uh, John five seven. It's called the Comma Gehennium, and it is uh, the three that bear witness. Uh, the three are one: the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These three are one, and that appears in later manuscripts as well. And then the woman caught in adultery in John chapter eight appears in different locations of different manuscripts. So some uh, some think it's, it might be uh, just a later additional thing as well. Those are the three biggies. In the, in the New Testament. That's it. But statistically speaking, from what I've read, it's the, the New Testament is like 99.85% textually pure. And there's a little bit of variation that occurs. I just told them to you. And this is because it really happened. The, the Bible really was read. The, uh, I mean, written. It really was done. And so um, and people really did copy it. It happened in real time. All right, let's try this one since nobody's calling. If you do want to call, 877-207-2276. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, This is a review. Uh, This woman says, do you have children? Your radio show last evening was sad. You walked out of a service because there were children present? Um, You know, and but the person... (laughs) The person... I'm going to review this. The person doesn't understand why I I left a service. Um... I, I was talking about a certain service I was, was was in a few weeks ago, and I just left on the sermon because uh, the sermon wasn't uh, the, the preacher wasn't sticking to the scriptures, and he was just uh, doing a surface level examination of the word, and then did a, a nice long intro with a story, and then went to a book, started reading out of the book, and just spent time in this book quote. I mean, I just get tired of this. I I, I want the scriptures. Give me the scriptures and. So that's why I just said, I'm done. I'm not going to stay here and, and just listen to this. I get aggravated, uh, you know, and, and it makes me mad that that people are being um, fed, uh, in my opinion, too often being fed uh, mamby-pamby uh, sermons. And uh, I, I that's just me, my opinion. My mean, I, maybe, and my little uppity about it, perhaps, uh, but I'm not the only one who's having problems with uh, with preaching nowadays in a lot of churches. Now, I know some good churches. I know some good preachers, okay? Some local guys here. And, uh, and uh, Josh Bales is great, and Randy Reams is great. These are guys I know, you know, locally here and stuff, and they're good preachers. And uh, Chad Prigmore is a good pre- preacher. These are guys I, I just know personally. I'm not really good with names. I can't, you know, there's a lot of good people and stuff. But when we get back, I'll explain why I don't like to have kids in a service. And for me, if you like it, great. I'm going to tell you why I can't handle it very well. Right after we get back in the break, we'll be right back. Please stay tuned. It's Matt Slick Live, taking your calls at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. If you want to give me a call, all you got to do is dial 8772-072276. All right, I was talking about why um, I don't uh, like it when children are in the in congregations. This is just my opinion. It is because I have a hearing disorder. 
and uh, I have a very loud tinnitus in both ears, and I blew my ears out when I was younger, going to nightclubs back in back in the day, and so I have like 80 decibel. It's it's very loud in both ears all the time, and it's 100 percent of the time at that level, all of the time. It never goes away, and I have hearing aids. Uh, to, and it helps. It's kind of weird how it helps, but it does. The tinnitus doesn't go away, or tinnitus, as they say. And so, because I'm also autistic in that I have Asperger's, uh, therefore I get distracted by certain kinds of sounds because it, my brain has to produce sound and ignore the sound while I'm listening to a sermon. And so if there's children in there who are clicking on something, banging on a book, making little noises, my brain can't process all those sounds at the same time and I get very distracted and I get it's called getting overloaded my brain can't handle it most people can because they don't have all this extra stuff to deal with and that's why I don't like children in the service because I can't handle it I'm not knocking it you know uh, that's fine. You know, haven't you? that's good. There's nothing unbiblical about that. It's just that's that's just my personal uh, experience, and um, it's a difficulty for me. So I, I'm not able to enjoy a sermon uh, when there's kids around me that uh, are noisy. And I've been in churches where they're banging on their little books, you know, they're banging on stuff, and mom and dad don't do anything. Or they're talking, mom, dad, you know. And I'm like, come on, and um, you know. So I just can't. I can't handle it. It's just it's me. It's me. It's not you. It's me. And that kind of a thing like that. All right. Um, now, I think we've got uh, callers coming in, but they're not activated. At least one of them isn't. And so I'm a little bit confused. Oh, there we go. There's Brady from Utah. Brady, welcome. You're on the air. Hey, thanks, Matt, for taking my call. Um, sure. I was just listening to you talking about the uh, uh, that Mark 1613 Mm-hmm. And just had a question. Sure. Um, it to me, I'd always understood that to be referring to, and as far as he's taking out a different form, um, to uh, Luke chapter twenty-four, verse thirteen through sixteen, um, about him walking on the road to Emmaus with the two men that, and they didn't recognize him. It says their mm-hmm. eyes were holding. And wondering right. if that's the same case, and and that they potentially. Nope. Not that he was in a different form, but that the Spirit didn't touch them and they didn't know that it was well, Jesus, per se. Right. Their eyes were beheld from seeing him, and they didn't recognize uh, him until after he broke bread. The breaking of the bread right. is really important because it may have been that at that point they would have seen the uh, the holes in his wrists. and Because uh, the garment mm-hmm. that he'd been wearing would have been long. It went down to the... Uh, down to the hands a lot, so in you know the dark, the dust. They wanted to see, but he broke bread. You got to rip it. And you got to tear it. So his hand, they gave it to him, and they would have seen the hands. Oh, it's you. So that's just a possibility there. But uh, the the issue here is uh, in Greek. It's a different form. It's a metamorpheo, and it, a meta, or actually I think it's two words, meta, uh, different, and uh, yeah, meta, and morphe. So. Um, in fact, I'll just show that on the screen. Let's see if we can do it. There we go. And so when I see this, it says in a different form. Well, form of what? His body. Well, that's not how it was. And as far as Luke 24 goes, he was still in his resurrected body because that's just what, he, what the prophecy is. So there was no difference right. of form there. And that's why uh, I get what you're saying out of Luke 24, but it's not. Yeah. That doesn't convince me. Yeah. 
Okay. Didn't um, didn't um, uh, Mary not recognize him when when he was when he first appeared to her at the tomb as well until he yes um, yes and now, part of the reason in his. Yes, here's a, let's put some context on it. It was early in the morning. The sun is just rising, yeah. which mean, doesn't mean bright. It can mean that the sun had just broken the horizon. There could have been trees. There could have been hillside around there that could have had shadows. Plus, you got to remember that Jesus retained the crucifixion wounds. So in the, right. the dusk, uh, his face was beaten, and his beard didn't rip from his face. So who's this guy? right there well it would have made sense that he would have been a follower of jesus because he had a lot of followers would it make sense to her that maybe someone was going there to visit the tomb just like she was and then she realized who it was it was him it would make sense if you put the flesh and blood on it that way makes sense right yeah just it just it makes sense it seems to make sense that there's two accounts right there that that we actually know that it was jesus um whereas Mm -hmm. in that mark account it was it may just not have been like the right word used in in terms of form it maybe is he had a beard or didn't have a beard or his appearance was different to where they didn't recognize him at first until he spoke with them or broke bread with them or or, or something right. like that now yeah. and and you know but like i said it's metamorpho and uh metamorphe and so i don't I, I, it's just a different format go no he's in the, day, the form of his body no he was in the same form his hot body right that's what it is of course yeah totally yeah and then the 17 yeah. non-marking words in a non-marking sense that makes me nervous so that's why i just i won't ever preach out of it as authoritative i can yeah. reference it and say well this is what it says here but and i've done that in some of my articles when people refer to it but um that's it so there you go gotcha all right. right. Well, you're awesome. Thanks for taking my call. Have a good one. <laughs> you too, man. Thanks a lot. All right. All right. I don't think we have anybody else waiting. Now, I've got a request from someone to do a little thing on the now and the not yet. Let's see if I can pull it together. What the now and the not yet is biblically. The now and the not yet. Hold on. I'm going to turn my throat. And then I'm going to take a drink of water. Hold on. Because this is, this is nice glass here. I like this. You can see all right. So the now and the not yet. <laughs> Getting it ready. <laughs> All right. Hey, thanks, Ernie. Five dollars from Ernie and the, uh, the the chat. Rumble rant. Really appreciate that. The now and then and yacht. I mean, man, this is it's like I'm doing videos today. I kept messing up. So the now and the not yet is an aspect of Christian theology that deals with the things that are not yet but are said to be now. It's kind of a weird concept. So, for example, in 1 Peter 2.24, it says, Jesus bore our sin in his body on the cross. Well, he bore our sin, but I didn't exist 2,000 years ago when Jesus was on the cross and bore our sin. So, for him, it was now, but for me, it was not yet. Yet, my sin was imputed to Christ back then. So this is a manifestation of the now and the not yet. There's a sense of time that is not really present, but is considered to already be settled. And that's an example of it. Here's another example. When you go to uh, 
to Romans 8, 29, it says, And these whom he predestined, he also called, and these whom he called, he also justified, and these whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, what's interesting here is that each one of these words is in the past tense. So predestined is the past tense, and that God predestined us, and that's, you can go to Ephesians 1, 4, the foundation of the world, and he called us. Uh, he calls us forth, he, he uh, brings us to him. John six forty four, John six sixty five for that. And those whom he called, past tense, he justified. Now justification is a legal declaration of righteousness. You can go to Romans four one through uh, six for that. And notice this. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And this is what's interesting: is that to be glorified is talked about in First Corinthians fifteen thirty five through forty five, in the glorification of our bodies in the resurrection, which has not yet happened. So. We can make a very good case here that this glorification that's being spoken of is dealing with the future resurrection, and it is spoken of in the past tense. We are guaranteed a resurrection because of the resurrection of Christ. So for us, it's not yet, but yet at the same time, it's already guaranteed. And another thing is, First John 5.13 says, These things are written so you may know you have eternal life. So I know that I have eternal life, but yet at the same time, my body is decaying and my body is dying. And then one day my heart will stop, my breath will stop, and my soul will go be with the Lord. And then I'm going to be later glorified and resurrected. But I know I have eternal life, but eternal life is also sometimes spoken of in the fullness of the resurrection. But I know that I have it now, even though the fullness of it is not yet. So this is what the now and the not yet is dealing with in Scripture. It's a nice concept. It's really helpful. And if you can understand it in certain areas of Scripture in Bible studies, it makes things make more sense. And as I like to say to people, more better when you understand certain areas of Scripture when you get the concept of the now and the not yet. So there you go. Praise God. All right, we have nobody waiting. If you want to give me a call, it's easy to do, 877-207-2276. And, uh, oh, there's the music. Oh, there we go. Hey, and if you want to, you know, get back here for the last segment of the show, just please stay tuned. Or if you want to give me a call, 877-207-2276. Or you can email me, info at org, and just put in radio question, radio comment, one of those in the subject, and I'll, I'll check it out. May the Lord bless you. We'll be right back. It's Matt Slick Live. Taking your calls at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the show. We have nobody waiting. So what I'm going to do is get some more uh, emails and questions and stuff like that. But if you want to give me a call... All you got to do is dial 877-207-2276. And by the way, just to uh, just to tell you, we um, have a good group of people that kind of follow us in varying uh, chat rooms and stuff like that. And we broadcast the show live in audio to Clubhouse, and uh, it goes in video out of Rumble. It also goes out to um, to Facebook. And some other, maybe they can list the places down there in the private chat of the other places where it goes out to uh, live. But the idea is we're trying to reach out as much as possible. And uh, I just praise God for the ability uh, to be able to do this. And I'm going to, you know, I'm thankful to those people who uh, help keep CARM running. In fact, Charlie, 
Hey, listen to me, Charlie. I want you to call me up on the air here. I'm seeing him. And I want you to tell me, I want you to tell us what you're doing uh, for CARM. Uh, because um, I figured we kind of do that towards the end of the year. I want to get Laura here, too. So, Charlie, why don't you call me? Or you, Arnie's calling, but you haven't called me yet, have you, the past few days, right? That's right. Good. Well, give me a call. And by the way, Charlie is the guy who read me the quote so many years ago, 43 years ago, that started me studying Mormonism. And it was the quote where Joseph Smith boasted he did more than Jesus to keep a church together. And he says, no, neither John Paul Peter, nor Jesus has ever done such a work as I. The followers of Jesus ran away from him, but the followers of uh, my followers never went away from me yet. And uh, it upset me so much that I ripped the paper out of his hand. I said, who said this? And he said, the Mormons. And, uh, or Joseph Smith. And I said, well, who's that? <laughs> and he said, the founder of Mormonism. And and uh, that started me studying uh, Mormonism, and I, I've learned a, a great deal about it. And I'm good friends with Bill McKeever and Eric Johnson, who are world-class experts on Mormonism. I mean, um, I'll just tease them and say, I taught them everything I know about Mormonism, which took about five minutes. And then they, it takes hours to teach what they know about it. Uh, they're great guys. And so uh, we've got a nice section on uh, on Mormonism. And I don't see Charlie on yet. Let's get to Marsha. Marsha, welcome. You're on the air. Hey, Matt. How are you? Hi. I'm doing all right. Just hanging in there. So what do you got? So I have a question, and I also okay. have a challenge. So okay. um, my question is, I know that you're a continuationist. But yes. Do you believe that all of the apostolic gifts are still good for today, or is you feel like there's some limit there? No, I say all charismatic gifts are still around for today. When people say apostolic, that's different, because then they mean an apostle is for today, which I don't affirm. So I believe the charismatic gifts, speaking in tongues, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, prophecy, these all are still working in the church as a whole. Okay? Okay. That's what my position is. So I have a biblical reason for it. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sorry, say that again? <laughs> No, I, believe, I have biblical reason for it. I can give the reasons, but go ahead. So would you consider things like um, people being slain in the spirit and stuff like That's, that be a part the of that? Only, the only occurrence of slain in the spirit I know of is in First Corinthians 5, or Acts chapter 5, excuse me. Ananias uh, and Sapphira were killed. The Holy Spirit slew them, slain in the spirit. This idea of just uh, falling down the ground, shaking and all this stuff and going crazy, I don't see it as being biblical, so I don't affirm it. Okay? Okay. That's where my, I guess, my issue is. See, a lot of people, there's a psychological phenomenon that people like to release themselves emotionally in front of a group for approval in a group. And a lot of times what's expected is people to act uh, funny. And they'll do that. And uh, it's just a phenomenon that occurs, and it occurs at different levels in different cult groups. Now, that's not to say that Christians who do this are cultists, but there are there are instances of this kind of a thing that happens a lot. Now, I, I was uh, in Melody Land, which is across the street from Disneyland in Southern California, 
And Melody Land is no longer there. But I remember going up forward to get slain in the spirit. I didn't know what was going on. I was still young in my theological studies. And there's about 10 or so of us, 12 of us, I don't know, 15, whatever. And uh, I was about in the middle of this group. And uh, the pastor would lay his hand on the forehead of each person. They would fall back. It was being slain in the spirit, right? So I, I remember thinking, okay, hey, get to me, do it. You know, I'll go down. That's okay. And I were, still remember this very clearly. The person to my right, because the, the pastor guy was coming uh, to my from my right, you know, towards me. And so the guy next to me, I watched him. He was fidgeting, smiling, and kind of jumping up and down with excitement. And the pastor guy got to him and put his hand on his forehead, and the guy threw himself back. I could see the action of his own throwing. He went back. And he was smiling, looking for it, and he went back, and the guys caught him. I still remember that. I could tell the guy did it to himself. So the pastor then gets to me, and he pushes his, puts his hand on my forehead. I'm, I just stand up. I'm not resisting. It's like, okay. He does it again. He does it again. And he leaves, and he goes on to the next person, and that person falls. I'm the only one standing. And so no one said anything to me. But if, like, if God's going to do this, I'm going down. If it's him, well... Okay, I just waited and nothing happened. But I believe in the charismatic gifts, okay? So I wasn't going to just eagerly throw myself down on the floor and flop like a fish out of water because I want some experience. Okay? All right? Okay. So I, I, just, I, I came out of, a, out of a charismatic church where... Um, they wanted to teach us to speak in tongues, so mm-hmm. I guess that has affected my thoughts you about don't do it. That. That's, that's, that's ridiculous. I'm going to teach you how to speak in tongues. Yeah. And one of the things they can do is just say, gotta buy a Honda. You know, I've got to buy a Honda. Gotta buy a Honda. Gotta buy a Honda. Gotta buy a Honda. And they'll just start saying these things. See, you speaking in tongues. It's ridiculous. These are amateurs who don't know what they're doing, who, uh, cause dissension and confusion in the body of Christ. You know, if speaking in tongues, biblically speaking, is speaking in a language that uh, is there for the purpose of promoting the gospel and or for a prayer language. But you don't teach somebody how to do it. What you're doing is teaching them how to just manifest some phrases and some syllables. If you're going to speak in tongues, and it's documented in the world, speak in a language you don't know, for the purpose of that God wants to work through you. That's fine. Okay? And he can certainly do that. But so much of this is just fake. All right? Okay. Okay. All right. So I'll do a little more research. Hopefully somebody puts some links up so I can go find Mm those. Yeah, being slain in the spirit, um, look in scripture for it, and where's this teach you how to speak in tongues? That's not what the Bible says. When the Holy Spirit came on them, they spoke with tongues because the Spirit was there. No one had to teach them how to do it. It's ridiculous. These are charlatans doing this stuff. Yeah, I think. Okay. I think that made me a little biased because of, of that experience. So. Yeah. Yeah. And people can become very duped, and they can become emotionally uh, drained. They can have. Uh, stress in their life, they need a release there's a lot of psychological emotional factors that can go into this, but remember I'm not knocking the charismatic gifts I affirm all of them I do, I've affirmed, I affirm all of them 
but they must be done biblically. And I don't see churches doing that now. Okay? All right, Marsha. Okay. Okay, right. so I have a challenge. Okay. So tomorrow is my birthday. I'm going to be um, 57, feeling pretty old. And okay. um, I want to make um, a donation to CARM. So okay. I want to match anybody else's donation. So up to $1,000, anything that comes in between now and midnight tomorrow for my birthday, I'm going to give you a gift. Wow. Well, praise God. Uh, okay. I mean, if someone does, it'll come in, and I can ask my wife if, if uh, whatever's come in, and there you go. Okay. And we'll let yeah. you know. And it'll be a great birthday. All right. <laughs> thank you for everything that you guys do. All right. Well, thank you. God bless. All right. That's Marsha. She's pretty awesome. And let's get to Charlie. Hey, Charlie, we only have like three or four minutes. Hey, buddy. Oh, well, here I am. I'm glad you uh, mentioned your, the boast of Joseph Smith that uh, got you going. In fact, uh, I just posted the link to that article about that boast, if people want to read it. <laughs> okay, so we only have a little bit of time. So tell me what it is you do with CARM, because people need to know. Go ahead. Well, I post as though I'm you. And the, the social platforms during the show, it uh, looks like Carm is posting links to articles mm-hmm. and uh, the topics that people call in on. And that's me doing that. I was accused once of being a bot because <laughs> there uh, was a bot doing that job. And, and that was a nice accusation, though, to be yeah, well. compared with a bot because my technical knowledge is shallow, as you know. Yeah. I, I like that. And I do other things. I I uh, I kind of bounced. I kind of bounced naughty people. Of course, Laura and Ernie helped me do that. If naughty people sneak through, and we just get rid of them. But um, and sometimes you take them on. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. So (laughs) what do you do with Hootsuite? You do something with Hootsuite too, right? Well, Hootsuite. I publish uh, every other day. I publish at least uh, five articles, but. On the days I don't art, uh, post five, I post three articles that you've written in the past. You've got thousands of articles. People might not know it. Thousands of articles on different topics on CARM. And I, yeah. I send them out three a day uh, so people can look at those and then uh, go to the article and, and get uh, some deeper uh, understanding of the topic. They can take their time, not like when we're rushed on a radio broadcast under the, you know, constraints of the time constraints of a broadcast. Right. They can run over there and just spend their time. And I often do myself. I go, I search your website for something and it hooks me in and I start going from article to article to article and got my Bible open and I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. I read that and I'm glad I read it again because, yeah, I see some more. It's a it's a very valuable thing to do, um, so that's why I encourage people to take those topical links and run with them. Uh, get your Bible open, check them out, and uh, if you're interested in a topic, all in because the the topics that are called in are what drive the show. So yeah. it's a caller driven show. I love it. Yeah, you do a good job of it too. So you help with the social media by posting something that gets scheduled and goes out. You're in here during the radio show posting links, and you help uh, bust people who are just obstreperous twits. 
So that's very helpful. Yeah, and during your, <laughs> during your last call, I posted two articles that you've written um, regarding being slain in the Spirit. What's it mean? What is it? Because uh, those are good questions uh, that that lady had. And uh, yeah. uh, I appreciate the people that have questions like that because it gives me a chance to go to work and uh, dig right. this stuff out as quick as I can. Oh. Well, there's the music, so we got to get going. But thanks a lot, buddy. Appreciate you, man. Appreciate you. Thank you. And really fast. Okay, God bless. Hey, Mr. Kit, thanks for the $12 rant. And Don Donatus, uh, $50. Wow. Thank you very much. And may the Lord bless you all. And by his grace, we'll be back on there tomorrow. We'll talk to you then. Have a great evening. Another program powered by the Truth Network.